Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic. The Athletic. It's straight out of Cobham, the Chelsea FC podcast from The Athletic. On this Monday edition, Arsenal axed transfer latest and best and worst strikers. Available for free wherever you get your podcasts and ad-free on The Athletic, this is straight out of Cobham. Welcome along then to a new week in the world of Chelsea Football Club. I'm Matt Davis-Adams. I'm joined by two of the Athletics Chelsea experts. Liam Toomey's with us. Hi, Liam. Pray for Pablo Marie. Hello. (laughs) And back from his holiday, Dominic Fifield, back on duty at Hayding Dom. Yeah, I'm good, thank you. Um, Do we have to now pray see our uh, hello backs with a little quirky comment from the game the previous day? You don't have to. I mean, it's... It, so you think, I, miss, I feel as if I've been away for ages. It's all changed. It's definitely a bit that Liam's been working on. Um, <laughs> yeah. I spend I spend days coming up with these. <laughs> <laughs> it's good to have a gimmick. So um, so that's one. <laughs> it's all I've got. <laughs> <laughs> right, you know where we're starting today. Arsenal nil, Chelsea two. Here is Lukaku held up again by Pablo Mari. Lays it off to Kovacic. Great ball to pick out Reese James inside the penalty area. Back into the middle. Lukaku will score. He's hardly had three touches in the game. He puts his fingers to his lips. He wants to silence the Arsenal fans. It is a goal-scoring return to the Premier League for Romelu Lukaku. It's his first ever goal in a Chelsea shirt. He gives something to the game that we did not have so far. We can play very, very direct into the last line. He can hold the balls and at the same time he's also strong in turning and and uh, winning the little one-on-ones and um, yeah it's his constant uh, dangerous player with a big personality that helps to be honest today 12 years ago i scored my first professional goal at 16 when i was at Anderlecht. so today i already woke up with a good feeling i was like mm, it might happen today so i knew i had already a feeling before the game yeah so the Blues made it two wins from two at the start of the new season with another comfortable derby victory. A second debut goal for Romelu Lukaku and a Reese James thump with the moments that mattered in North London. Arsenal huffed and puffed but couldn't trouble Chelsea's staunch backline. And let's talk Lukaku first. Liam, you opine in your post-match piece for The Athletic that it took him all of six seconds to make his mark. Yeah, that was how long it took for him to receive that pass from Mateo Kovacic, about 30 yards from goal with Pablo Maria at his back. Lay it back to Kovacic, spin, run, basically bundle Pablo Maria to the floor without really touching him. It <laughs> kind of looked like his, his gravitational force sent Marie tumbling to the floor and then just be in position for... What was in the end a simple tap-in from a, a pinpoint Reese James cross? It was, it was everything that Chelsea had been lacking in the final third last season. You know, and it looks so simple when you've got a player who can do the things Lukaku can do, but it just kind of summed up everything he can offer 
to Chelsea's game plan. And it was a move. They were trying to score that exact goal for the 15 minutes before they scored it. He, he, he was calling for the ball every single time he had Maria at his back and Chelsea were working the ball around midfield. He didn't get it every time. But uh, if, if you're a fan of basketball, it looked a lot like a post-up where, where you've got a smaller player behind you and you're just trying to back him down and body him. Uh, it was quite disrespectful. Um, <laughs> and, uh, and yeah, Marie obviously didn't know what to do with Lukaku, ended up going through the back of him and picking up a yellow card before half-time. Might have, might have been sent off if the, the referee hadn't been feeling quite charitable towards the end. It, it was, in Lukaku's own words, dominant. Yeah, it's it's easy to to get caught up in in hyperbole, Dom. And it's it's fun too, so let's do it. But considering <laughs> that that he'd only had forty five minutes of pre season for a different club, was it pretty remarkable, or was it just playing Arsenal? I mean, might might it have been different <laughs> if if Ben White had been there? It, it feels like a nice first game for him. It probably it probably was a, a an easier route in back into it to English football for him I do find it just, just digressing slightly just just lingering on Arsenal I do find it remarkable that they they knew exactly what was coming at them in those first two fixtures of the season at, against Brentford and against against Lukaku and Chelsea and yet they they had absolutely no idea still what to do with with either of them I, I suspect a lot of teams are going to run into that problem with Lukaku because there isn't an obvious way of stopping him it's, it's one of the pieces I've got to explore ahead of the weekend's game when You'd imagine he would be in for a sterner test at Anfield against Virgil van Dijk, but this week there was nothing more inevitable about the football this weekend than Lukaku scoring on the second debut for Chelsea. Absolutely nothing. It was. I'm just surprised it took him his third touch to do it. I mean, quite frankly, it's 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 he he was always he he was fired up. He was focused. He was just reveling in in showcasing everything that he can do, and really for for Chelsea supporters witnessing his dominance in that display, it must be mouth watering. I mean, they, he can do anything, but he will score thirty goals for Chelsea this season. Probably stays fit. He's he he looks completely transformed from the player that was on Chelsea's books a decade ago, or when he arrived a decade ago, um, and it's all too evident what he's learnt in Italy as well, playing for Antonio Conte and developing his game. Arsenal should have known what was coming, but they played like they didn't have a clue what was coming and he just steamrolled them. I just wanted to share a quote from Thomas Tuchel in his post-match press conference because I thought he summed up the value that Lukaku gave Chelsea uh, really well. Um, I think his profile gives us something we did not have so much. He has some depth in his game and we can overcome pressing with long balls. If we're close to the box, we can also play into him when there are defenders at his back because he's a very physical player. But we don't lose our threat on counter-attacks because he likes to run into open spaces. And I just think that that kind of sums up the the dimensions that Lukaku gives to Chelsea's game. He's got a very unique blend of attributes and it means that you know, in the first half, we did see a lot of those kind of post-ups of Pablo Marie and, and Chelsea played off that and played very successfully off that. In the second half, when the crowd got up, the heavy rain came, it got a little bit more difficult and Chelsea were, were, were pinned back a little bit. He was the release valve. He was the one that they clipped the ball long to. He was he was moving into channels. He was holding the ball up, winning throws, winning a couple of free kicks, just moving the team up the pitch. 
And of course, he he carries that threat in behind, which I don't think we saw against Arsenal quite so much. We might see it more against Liverpool, given the high line they play next weekend. But it just shows all the different things he can do. And I think Chelsea, especially considering this was all based on, what, four or five training sessions, Lukaku with his new teammates, they look ominously good already. I know, we, I know we're going to talk about strikers later on, but and, and Chelsea's hit and misses with signing strikers over the years. But for a massive, massive outlay here, they have bought a player now in his peak. And I'm not sure they've always done that with their with the strikers they've targeted in the market. If, I mean, if you think of when when Torres arrived for a British record fee of 50 million, his hamstrings were weren't quite what they used to be already. Um, when Chevra Shevchenko arrived, he, he was possibly past his his pomp as well after his time at Milan. Um, even when Samuel Eto'o arrived, I know he didn't cost a, a big fee, but when he arrived, his, he was definitely in the autumn of his career, a, a fantastic career, but he, was, he wasn't he was in his peak. But with Lukaku, they've gone out and they bought a player that is absolutely ready to tear it up and eager to tear it up. And that's what I anticipate him doing for the next season, seasons beyond. I mean, he's he's got absolutely everything. You could probably add Radamel Falcao to that list. For a, <laughs> for a, for a while, they had a, a, a nice little niche in signing the best striker in the world about 18 months after they were the yeah. best striker in the world. Absolutely. Yeah, 18 months being generous, I think. Uh, he's all, he also adds a bit, a bit of stardust, I think, to Chelsea, doesn't he? I mean, I interviewed him yesterday. That's the first time I've sort of been in his presence and he just radiates that kind of superstar aura, which maybe not many of the other current Chelsea players do. And, and that might help some of the more shrinking violet personalities to to take the load off. Chelsea TV did a good sit-down interview with him last week and he just kind of casually name dropped oh yeah when I went to Italy I was it looked like I was going to Juventus but I spoke to Jay-Z and he said no I think I think you'd be better going to Inter because you, you're better when your back's up against it and and you could just sort of see the the marketing manager's eyes lighting up there <laughs> thinking right okay we might be able to recoup uh, some of this money fairly quickly in in commercial tie-ins but I mean look at look at the players that he's he's worked with um who have coached him as well I mean he will have taken Massive advice. I mean, in fact, there was a there was a little tweet he put out this morning, didn't he? Asking Didier Drogba, not don't don't forget to call me back or something. Just putting it out there. You know, I've got this hotline to Didier Drogba. Well, he's also got hotline to Thierry Henry, which must have been very very difficult for the Arsenal supporters to deal with. And poor Adonis, a little little note for Adonis, who our ex producer <laughs> here, who, who has run a mile from this podcast as soon as Lomelu Lukaku's own interview. But I mean, he he has he would have picked up you know, tips from working with Thierry Henry with Belgium as well. And to have those those lines of communications open to to pedigree strikers, you know, some of the best that have ever played the game, not least not least in the Premier League as well. It's no wonder that he's he's sort of soaked up all this knowledge and, and information over the years like a sponge. But you're right on the stardust thing. He was he was even early on in that game yesterday at set plays, defensive set plays, he was telling players where to go. He was he was telling teammates, he was directing them. He was he he obviously instantly commands this this massive massive respect. And I thought he just he will inspire them. He I mean Mason Mount and Kai Havertz must be licking their lips at the prospect of some of the layoffs that he's going to have when he's got his back to goal and he's playing them into the, that area just outside the box. They're going to be pinging shots away for fun this season. He created so much space for both of them. Um, and if you look at the second goal, 
Lukaku plays a bigger role in it than you might initially mm. realise because he goes over, he runs towards the ball and two Arsenal players follow him. And then he he kind of dummies it. I don't know whether he was trying to flick it as well, if you look at the replay, but it runs straight through to Mount and Mount is suddenly in wide open space. It was brilliant, quick thinking from him and quick execution to play that pass to James. But the space is there because Arsenal have had to shuffle across primarily to account for Lukaku. And that's the kind of thing that Costa did regularly at Chelsea, that Drogba did. When you've got that kind of dominant number nine that the entire opposition defence has to worry about for 90 plus minutes, it can raise the level of everyone else because they've just got so much more space to operate in. So that's the Lukaku loving. Tactically, Dom, was there anything that you noticed about what Thomas Tuchel did here or or was this just a case of lads, it's Arsenal? (laughs) Well, I mean, Liam wrote a very, very good piece about the... the, uh... The hold that um, Mikel Arteta appeared to have over Chelsea um, tactically in, in recent times. To be honest, I mean Liam in position might be able to offer a better tactical insight into what yesterday was was like. But I, I thought that as, as as soon as Lukaku was named in that team, I mean if, if that's even possible after their performance at Brentford the previous week where they've been done by a long throw, I mean it's. I think he just asked them to go out and play. He sort of suggested that there hadn't been an, an awful lot of tactical input in terms of what they expected Lukaku to fit into the style of play. They just said, well, let's see what he does. Let's see what, let's how he performs. Let's see what impact that he has up there and, and, and let's let our players react. But he just looked perfect. I mean, we took Mountain Havertz, we've mentioned, but Rhys James and Marcus Alonso, the, the menace that they carried down the flanks was was something else as well. And that, that probably does sum up quite where Arsenal are, but bearing in mind that Rhys James was tearing at Kieran Tierney for a large proportion of that game, and Kieran Tierney is recognised as one of Arsenal's stellar performers, well, James made a mockery of that, quite frankly, and I think the, the very fact that so many defenders were getting sucked across to try and deal with the threat that Lukaku posed opened space for the wing-backs as well, and it, I mean, it, it just, it was a perfect storm for for Arsenal and an absolute, sorry, for Arsenal for Chelsea, and an absolute, absolute nightmare for Mikel Arteta and Arsenal. I mean, they thought Ivan Toni gave them a little around the week before. Lukaku made a mess of them, and then they've got Manchester City to come next weekend. So, good luck with that one. As soon as I saw Arsenal line up in a back four, I thought they were in trouble. Um, if you remember the game at Stamford Bridge last season, where Emil Smith Rowe's goal settled it. Arsenal stifled Chelsea for long spells in large part because they matched the 3-4-3 and it meant that they Chelsea didn't have the same kind of overloads in certain areas. In a back four, you can't defend against this Chelsea team, I don't think. it's Or it's very, very difficult to do it because you can't really crowd out Lukaku, particularly if you don't have a dominant centre-back and Pablo Marie, Rob Holding certainly don't fit into that bracket. But it just meant that the wingbacks, the Chelsea wingbacks killed Arsenal as much as Lukaku did. The first goal, it's it's obviously the overlapping run from James. He was in that position four or five times in the first half. He was basically playing on the shoulder of the Arsenal defence on the right wing. And on the left, Alonso was maybe less of a factor, but the second goal comes from Havertz pulling wide, Alonso drifting into that space, and Havertz finds him with a really well-timed pass, takes out two Arsenal players... And suddenly Arsenal are in rotation. They're having to scramble and they never get back. And it's just because you've got that fundamental problem of when Chelsea are attacking with five, you've got four. And they didn't have that problem at Stamford Bridge last season. I didn't. Uh, the suggestion is that Arsenal trained during the week with Ben White 
in a back three. And then what happened with White screwed up their plans, but they still had Callum Chambers on the bench. So I don't really understand what Arteta was trying to do. If there is a an element of frustration at such a dominant win, and there shouldn't be, but but there were a couple of... You mentioned the number of times that James was free. And Rhys James has got to learn that, that Chelsea now have got that presence in the six-yard box who is going to tap in those goals, um, as as the opener suggested on, on Sunday. There were a couple of... There was a brilliant, brilliant, brilliant sweeping move that ended with him free and bursting into the into the box down the right and Lukaku pleading for for another square ball. Uh, he would have been an, almost an identical goal from, from the first and it, the ball never came. He, he, I think he ended up back with either Mount or Havertz having a shot from outside the box. But, but I mean, there, there is no... You, you can just repeat the trick. If, if the defenders aren't going to react to it and if the, if the if Arsenal's midfielders aren't going to react and, and come, out, come in and help and try and cut the supply line well just keep doing it keep hurting them keep wounding them which and, I mean Chelsea could if, if they if they'd stuck to that and and you know James looked up at a couple of times they would have they would have scored four or five in the in the first half alone probably and I don't want to say that as a criticism of Reese James who was phenomenal and brilliant it's great to see him back because I did wonder how Reese James was going to cope this season on the back of the Hakimi pursuit uh, and what, what that had said to him about his, his status within the team. Well, I mean, that was that was him all over. He's had a difficult summer. He's not played as much for England as he, he would have liked. But he's he's still the future of, of, of Chelsea Football Club on that flank. Yeah, and uh, that goal, I'm sure, only endeared him more to the Chelsea supporters who sang his name for, for maybe the first time. Um, proper Chelsea and all that. He's one of our own. He's one of our own. Reese James is one of our own. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com slash courtside to learn more. This episode is supported by FX's Welcome to Wrexham. Celebrity owners Rob McElhenney and Ryan Reynolds' small-town Welsh football club has finally been promoted into League Two after 15 seasons in the National League. Dedicated staff and supporters celebrate the city's return to glory while bracing for the newfound challenges that come with being in a higher league. Will Wrexham AFC stand up to the challenge and rise again into League One? FX's Welcome to Wrexham premieres May 2nd on FX. Stream on Hulu. Right, let's get on to some transfers and away from Arsenal. Uh, I've got to ask you, Liam, what's the latest on Koundé? <laughs> um, as we understand it, you know, Chelsea haven't, been back in touch directly with Sevilla, I don't think. Um, but they are still very much interested in Koundé. Uh I think, you know, the impression is that this is partly contingent on them recouping some money for Kurt Zuma. Uh, I think David Ornstein has reported there's a there's a, a I, I didn't want to say verbal agreement because verbal agreements of getting a bad ref at the moment. Um, but with with West Ham over a price. But personal terms are still being discussed um, between Zuma and West Ham. So we'll see what happens there. If that happens, then I think, you know, Chelsea might be a little bit more willing to to meet Koundé's, I think, £68 million 
buyout clause, which is what Sevilla are demanding at the moment. But it's probably Koundé or nothing at this stage of the window. We're not hearing anything about a central midfield recruit. It's quite a hard pitch to say, can you come in and, and, and play behind Kante, Jorginho, Kovacic? Billy Gilmore didn't want to do it. Conor Gallagher didn't want to do it. So we'll see what happens there. But it, I think Koundé, if he comes, will probably be the, the last arrival. Yeah, on that, uh, David Ornstein, as Liam saying, says reported in his column for The Athletic on Monday that Kurt Zuma, the fee agreed, is £30 million, uh, but Big Kurt wants more than the hundred and a week he's currently on. If Chelsea can can get that deal over the line, Dom, that, that is a, a pretty good fee for a backup centre-half, isn't it? Yeah, you'd have to put that down as another... Marina Granovskaya triumph, to be honest, to to drum up that much. Which <laughs> I, I'm I'm sort of surprised that West Ham would be able to would be willing to fork out that much. If I'm honest, um, I I rather hope that Chelsea don't do any more transfer business because I think they've they've got the squad now. I think the missing link was Lukaku. I know it's great for our numbers, and we love we love transfer rumours and all that business, but. When you've been working with a first team squad that that totaled forty two at one point over the summer, um, and you've got England internationals who currently don't even have a squad number on your books, I think it's pretty obscene to go out into the market again and spend, potentially spend another sixty eight million pounds. If I'm honest, I mean that's probably not what the Chelsea fans want to hear, but I'm looking at it thinking, is that does that send out the right messages really? And it also the way that Trevor Chalova's played. He probably merits being in contention for a place in that back three, and Kunde presumably would just knock him further down the pecking order. So I, I rather hope that Chelsea are quiet in terms of incomings and that they spend the next week or whatever it is left um, clearing a few of the, or attempts to clear some of the, the big, big money players that don't have futures at the club off their books. Well, let's talk about them, Liam, uh, because here's Adit with a question saying, little more than a week to go. Is the club planning to keep the likes of Ampadu and Ruben Loftus-Cheek? Is there any interest in Barkley? Uh, Producer Lucy adds, what about Charlie Misonda? Because we heard Charlie Misonda was back fit again, didn't we? So he feels to me like one of those will get a a loan to a Belgium club on the last day of the transfer window. Well, Tuchel made a reference after the Arsenal game to having a squad of 18 players that he's counting on this season. Now, that number would not seem to include Ampadu and Loftus-Cheek. So reading between the lines of that, it seems to suggest that they are free to go if if loans can be found. I'm still looking into their situations and hopefully we'll have a bit more information on, on both this week. But yeah, Chelsea, the focus has to be on, on, on offloading players. Uh, and I totally agree with what Dom said on, on Koundé. You know, it was only last week Tuchel pulled Trevor Chaloba aside and said, don't go anywhere, stick <laughs> around. He already dropped to the bench for Aspilicueta for the Arsenal game. And now you're putting, you're potentially putting in a uh, 70 million, 68 million pound signing who plays on the right of defence in front of him. Uh, it, it doesn't make a lot of sense to me, though Koundé is apparently really, really good. But yeah, off offloads have to be the 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 priority, and I think they will be for Granov Sky. It'll be easier said than done. I think we'll probably see a lot more loans, potentially with options to buy, rather than obligations, and uh, kick the can down the road for another year. 
Zappacosta might be a permanent exit, it would seem. A few Italian clubs looking at him. That would be a good one to get off the book. Yeah, he's been he's been someone, one of the guys that's had more of a market, you would say, in that quite a lot of Italian clubs rate him. When, when I saw him in pre-season, actually, he did look physically quite good, um, which was good to see after the injury problems he's had. Um, but it, it would certainly be a boost for Chelsea if they could get a significant fee for him. And, and Masonda's not going to be part of the, the Chelsea first team squad, is he? I don't expect so. Um, I need to check back in with his situation, but the last thing I heard, you know, it, it seemed like maybe if he sticks around, it would be with a view to getting a few months of regular training under his belt and getting getting his body completely right again, maybe with a view to, to going out in January. Um, so I think the decision will probably be guided by what's best for Masonda's physical rehabilitation above anything else. Uh, I guess we might see him, therefore, in the under-23s at some point, which leads me nicely on to elsewhere in Chelsea news. The under-23s had a one-all draw with Manchester United at Stamford Bridge on Friday night. Chelsea reduced to 10 men in the second half. Josh Brooking was shown a red card, but they took the lead not long after that, courtesy of a Harvey Vale penalty, only for United to equalise in the last five minutes. And meanwhile, there was another thumping win for the under-18s who hammered Spurs 7-2 on Saturday. That's 12 goals scored in their opening two games for Ed Brand's boys. Uh, Tuesday night of this week, we'll see Chelsea begin their EFL trophy campaign. They are away to Exeter in their first game. And let's give a shout out to Tammy Abraham, who enjoyed an excellent debut for Roma on Sunday night. Despite not having trained with his new teammates ahead of the game with Fiorentina, Abraham got two assists, was fouled by the Fiorentina keeper who got sent off and scooped the man of the match award too. Well done, Tammy. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 US-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. Here's a fun thing to end the show. The internet tells me that this week is the anniversary of one of Chelsea's greatest strikers, Jimmy Greaves, making his debut for the Blues way back in 1957. 
got me wondering who would make our panel's all-time top three Chelsea front men. We'll go in reverse order, one at a time. Why is all shook up by Elvis and the Jordanaires playing, you ask? It was number one on this date in 1957, of course. Uh, let's start with the worst strikers. Dom, you can go first. Who's number three in, in your poll? Oh, wow. Um, God, that's a bit that's a bit more formal than I expected. Um, <laughs> well, I'm going to put, just in terms of, of a letdown, he's had a mention already on the show today Radamel Falcao is in there because I remembered what he'd done to, to Chelsea in previous um, when, when when fit was it in the Super Cup wasn't it and he absolutely ran right and he turned up and genuinely thought that you know he, he would make a, a big difference not least because he was joining a, a team that had just won the, the title uh, under Jose Mourinho um, and he was dreadful um, he only scored one goal and um I hate him even more because he scored that one goal against Crystal Palace. Podrá empatarlo. Qué final. Acompañanos. Viene Pedro. Busca el mano. Mete el centro. Gol. De Falcao. Gol. De Chelsea. Gracias. Dios. Dios. Dice Falcao. No, he was he was a massive letdown, unfortunately, and, and it was his body that let him down. Though it wasn't it wasn't his fault. It was he just wasn't the player that he he'd been when he turned run right against Chelsea in previous seasons. Uh, Liam, who's your first entry on your inglorious list? Yes, yeah, so I was a bit more charitable than Dom. I, I gave a pass to the guys who arrived at Chelsea with serious injuries <laughs> in the rear view because uh, I, I feel like there has to be some mitigation for, for guys like Falcao and, and Torres and Shevchenko even to an extent. Um, so number three on my worst was Gonzalo Higuain. Um, and he turned up in, in an incredible state of unfitness, mm. uh, which wasn't all his fault. It was partly down to the fact that it was mid-season for, for England, but in the middle of a break for Italy and it took him about a month to get up to speed and then we realised his speed wasn't particularly fast. He was just very underwhelming and the fact that his only contribution to that Europa League final was getting into a tussle with David Luiz at the open training session the night before the game and prompting Maurizio Sarri to storm off throwing his hat in the air um, says a lot about how badly that transfer went because, you know, well, that loan went because when they brought him in it was surely with a view to starting in games like that and not Olivier Giroud. Uh, let's fly through the rest of these uh, worst strikers then. Who's who's next on your list, Dom? Alexandra Pato. The little duck. Who did absolutely nothing. <laughs> Apart from scoring on his I was debut, there I for his one goal. Was that Villa Park? Was that you scored yeah. at Villa Park? Yeah. yeah. I can inside the game um is the reason played the guys Chelsea and my first goal is so happy. Uh, I'm a slight tired but unhappy. Yeah, I, I mean it was that was a really confusing one because it was it was uh, is is this the is this the player that's gonna arrest Chelsea's decline? Because um, that was the season obviously 2015 16. Um in fact both of my entries so far have been 2015 16, haven't they? That's not that's not a great sign. The Mourinho um, season. Well, he what he'd gone by then. This is Gus Hiddink. He was he was uh, he was in charge when when the little duck turned up. Um, yeah, it's, yeah, just no, just no. So the move for the little duck was Quackers. Uh, who is your next pick, Liam? So number two 
I've switched the order around here just thinking about it. Alvaro Morata. Um, a worthy gamble on talent because I think in terms of pure technical talent, Morata has everything to be one of the best number nines in the world, but he didn't have it between the ears at Chelsea. And it, it, it got him down. I know the, I know he had back problems in that season, that 2017-18 season as well. Um, but he lost the fans by just constantly looking miserable, constantly looking like he wasn't particularly up for the fight with defenders. And he seemed to think that the, the British media were a lot more against him than they actually were, which didn't help him either. He, he just seemed miserable all the time. And I think that was reflected in his performances. Uh, Dom, who's your number one? I, I I I object to this. I think it's really cruel this this <laughs> quiz, but I'm going to do it anyway. Um, I would have gone Morata. I, I I wanted to I wanted to do a a big money signing as a so you could you could have picked a Sheva in there. Twenty three goals after he cost thirty million pound at the time. It was a that was a letdown. Morata was a letdown. Um, unfortunately, given his reputation. Going back a bit further, I'm old enough to have seen Chris Sutton play for Chelsea. Um, well, I say play. Um, that that wasn't <laughs> great at ten million pounds. But and this is why this is a cruel quiz. They're, as far as Chelsea number nines go, Franco De Santo wearing that shirt makes no sense whatsoever. So I'm afraid, although he was a kid, and I don't want to pick on a kid, and it's like it's, this is bullying effectively. He just wasn't <laughs> up to it, unfortunately. And that that a scoreless number nine so why it's not bullying if the person you're talking about is not there it's just um bad mouthing and we're, we're, we're oh, quite we're all right with just, just bad mouthing yeah. people unnecessarily <laughs> uh liam can you offer any advance on DeSanto? i was just going to say i still remember the first time i ever saw franco DeSanto's name it was in bbc sports gossip column and he was being described as the next messi can you think of any player that was less like Lionel Messi in terms of appearance, style, everything else? Um, anyway, my number one, and it, actually thinking about it wasn't particularly close for me, Adrian Mutu. If you're talking about pure talent and underachievement, Mutu was incredibly, incredibly talented. Served notice of that talent in his first four or five games at Chelsea. was absolutely brilliant. Uh, and, and it looked like... You know, if, if if he kind of continued on that trajectory, the whole sort of first five, six years of the Abramovich era could have been completely different. There might have been no need for Drogba, but he, he spent all his energy off the pitch and uh, flamed out very, very quickly. And I know I know Chelsea weren't the only club he disappointed in his career, but I think that, that was a huge, huge letdown. Uh, let's get some positivity going then. Uh, Dom, give us your, your best three all at once and then we'll pick one to talk about. Uh, so I limited this to players I'd seen in the flesh, um, and and obviously you could go back to way back to in terms of Chelsea's best. But look, Didier Drogba was obviously the the, the best. I mean, he was he was a, just a phenomenal striker. Um, um, but Diego Costa's in there. I saw Tori Andre Flo and Gianluca Vialli run riot for for Chelsea. I thought Nicholas Anelka was magnificent and. Back when I started playing, sorry, started watching football as a fan, whenever my lot played Chelsea, I was always concerned by the presence of Kerry Dixon in the Chelsea lineup. I, I, he he had a an aura about him, and he he was a sort of the, the talisman of his day. So uh, I think that was my collection. But I probably go Drogba, Costa, and 
Dixon out of those three. That's a pretty good list. Um, did they all make yours, Liam, or is there anybody you haven't mentioned? No, I mean, Drogba and Costa are very easy ones, aren't they? And I don't think we need to go into too much detail. Uh, the other one in my top three was Jimmy Floyd Hasselbank. I still remember being quite young, going to a game at Stamford Bridge, a, a League Cup game against Notts County. Uh, and it was the first time I, I burst out laughing because of something that happened on a football pitch. Um, and it was Chelsea slowly building up possession through defence and midfield. Hasselbank just standing, not even moving, um, like 30 yards out demanding the ball, like screaming for the ball, getting more and more annoyed as Chelsea were just patiently <laughs> patiently working their possession. Eventually it came to him. He just shifted the ball out of his feet and smashed a swerving, dipping shot into the top corner. I don't think he even properly celebrated. He was just angry. <laughs> what a talent. What an incredible, what an incredible number nine. Um, I had a couple of honourable mentions as well. I thought, you know, Nicholas Anelka was excellent for Chelsea as a number nine, but also... Um, working in tandem with Drogba and uh, Hernan Crespo as well. Wasn't at Chelsea for long, but the season he had 2005-06 alongside Drogba was absolutely excellent. Some great names there. I'm sure there's plenty of older Chelsea fans that screaming the name Peter Osgood into their device at the moment. But uh, as the boys said, they were keeping it to players who they've seen. Uh, right, before we go, Liam, what are you working on for Athletic subscribers to enjoy so the match piece I wrote from the Emirates um, is up on The Athletic right now about Lukaku, uh, the goal he scored, his all-round performance and you know what it could mean for Chelsea. Um, I'll be working on a few different things this week, as I said earlier, trying to keep on top of the new situations of some of the players that could leave Chelsea as well in the next week or two. And I'm sure we'll do some sort of tactical style preview of uh, the Liverpool game at the weekend. How about you, Dom? Um, I'm I'm going to get involved in the, the Champions League draw on Thursday, I think, isn't it? There's a team in London that's uh, won that a couple of times, apparently. Um, and, uh, and this is one of the Chelsea fans probably won't like so much, but a, a, a piece asking various centre halves of pedigree how you actually aim to stop Lukaku ahead of the meeting with Virgil van Dijk at the weekend hmm. looking forward to reading that athletic.com slash Chelsea pod is a place to go to sign up if you aren't currently a subscriber a straight out of Cobham is back on Thursday when Simon Johnson will make his glorious return alongside Sam Parkin do join us then if you can until then many thanks to Liam and to Dom and to producer Lucy mainly to you though listener we'll catch you on Thursday bye for now The Athletic.